0: Boat Trader is America's largest boating marketplace with over 100,000 boats to choose from. We offer simple, comprehensive solutions for those looking to sell, find, and finance new or used boats. Visit BoatTrader.com to get started. Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, We make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Hey, everybody, welcome to How To Tuesday. We're in a three-part series on my favorite fish, the permit, and mostly how that applies to the Florida Keys, but a lot of this information could be applied anywhere. Uh, On the first episode, we had my friend Nick Labatee come and join us to talk about seasons, how he breaks up the year, how I think about the year, um, and the different uh, times of the year that you could come to the Florida Keys or really anywhere to fish for permit. Um, We talk about tides seasons guides boats kind of a general overview on permit and one of the things that we say there is there's really a couple different ways to catch them obviously uh, fly fishing is very popular for permit because they are very very difficult to catch on fly not impossible by any stretch of the imagination but very very difficult and does require kind of uh, teamwork between the guide and the angler. Um, so that kind of requires a special boat for the most part of a polling skiff and a guide that is really into pursuing permit. Um, you get the angler who's also into pursuing the permit and the guide on the same page. And, you know, there, a lot of fish can be caught. There is no question, I don't think that anyone would argue with me to say that it's far more effective to catch a permit on a spinning rod. And there are a lot of reasons for that. One, you can cast much further. Two, you can use a bait, which is something that they eat all the time, a live crab or a live shrimp, or there are many other uh, imitations that, quite frankly, don't look as good as a lot of the flies, but you can throw these things three, four times as far as you can a fly rod. So it opens up a lot more shots and, you know, you can sometimes tip the jig with a shrimp, which definitely helps, uh, but it doesn't make it a layup by any stretch of the imagination. There's nothing about permit fishing which it, that is a layup. So today we're going to talk specifically about spin fishing for permit and kind of go deep on uh, the actual tackle that I like to use, um, techniques and um, and go go through all the baits, and different, um, different ways that we like to fish for them. You can fish for permit with spinning tackle on the flats, on the near shore, patch reefs and coral heads and stuff like that. And you can also find them uh, on uh, wrecks and other kind of structure in water that's shallow enough to see the bottom. You can find them also on wrecks in deeper water, and you can find them in spawning behavior out off of the reef, um, in in kind of in the wide open. So the permit is one of the most widespread fish from deep water to shallow water, and everywhere in between you can find them. They're very challenging, um, challenging fish to to catch because they they want what they want. They want a live. Offering so you either need to animate your jig um, to look like it's alive, or you need to actually be using a live shrimp or live crab, and the presentation is very very important. So let's just talk about um, exactly what I like to to use. Now I want to start with the rod. We're going to talk about the rods and the reels first. The rod is very important. And I don't use the same rod all the time. Just like anything else, as you get more and more into it, you become more um, nuanced in, in in what you like and why. And I really have three or four different rods that I that I really like for permit. But let's, let's talk about the one battle axe that I could be confident and comfortable using all year long. And then if I want to get uh, picky and I want to try to... to improve my presentation at certain times of the year i might use something else so this first rod is a seven foot medium or medium heavy which would be for lines 8 to 17 on the medium and lines 12 to 20 pound on the medium heavy that is the battle axe seven foot medium action rod made for saltwater now that one allows for good casting, it, it it's heavy enough that I can fight any size permit very very quickly to the boat, and um, that one will allow for me to to fish for permit all year long. Now, let's on the last episode we talked about how the seasons kind of change, and if we started just you know at Christmas time or New Year's Day. New Year's Day is going to be kind of wintertime fishing. We're going to be getting uh, cold fronts coming through on the regular. You're going to see uh, the wind. You're going to have more wind. You're also going to have uh, very clear skies, so that can be good for permit fishing. But the more wind you have, uh, it's kind of if you haven't done this type of fishing much, it seems counterintuitive that the more fish the more wind you would have, the closer you can get to the permit and the the shorter the cast whether it's with fly gear or spinning gear, the shorter that the cast has to be. Okay? Because and that is because with the wind and the wind action, it, the flats all of a sudden are a very loud place and the the boats that we use are very technical Uh, they, they do not, uh, slap much. So the waves are not hitting the side of the hull and making an audible slap that that's in the design of these boats. So the boats are designed to be quiet. You can push through small waves. You know, you might have waves of six inches to a foot when it's blowing 20, 20 knots out there and the boat can just move through those waves without making, uh, any kind of a, a, a slapping noise, like if you just took a John boat out there, you'd you'd hear the side of the boat. just. It would just be pat, 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 pat. And the fish actually hear that from quite a distance away and they push away from you. In the technical polling skiffs that we use and the bay boats, um, they are very quiet and we can get much, much closer to them, either with a trolling motor or a push pole when it's blowing hard. And the harder it's blowing, the closer we can get. We can almost get on top of a permit when it's blowing really, really hard. So, you have to, you don't have to cast as far. And that's why the rod that I choose most of the time is a seven-foot rod, uh, medium-heavy. Uh, if I think that I'm going to have to fight a permit away from the mangroves or away from a wreck or away from a coral head. I want a little extra backbone. But my number one um, criteria for what rod I'm going to use is can I make the cast at the distance that I think that I'm going to need to go? So on a very windy day, I'm not going to have to cast very far. On As it gets progressively calmer and calmer and calmer until it is an absolute slick, windless day, that is going to be when we have to cast the absolute furthest. That's when the permit can sense, feel, and hear every little noise that you make on the flat. So, A calm day might seem like it would be a very good day to go permit fishing, but it can be very, very challenging. They can be aware of you at hundreds of yards away, out out of range of any spinning rod. So it's not just like you pick up a spinning rod and you're going to immediately catch them for all the fly fishermen out there. It's not like that at all. You have to put the crab where it needs to be and you have to do so at a distance that you know, the further you're casting, the, the, the more inaccurate you're going to be. And uh, that's the same with a fly rod. If you're going to cast a hundred feet, you're not going to be as accurate as if you're casting at 50. So that's a problem. But I want, to, if I'm going to have to cast my furthest distance, I'm going to go with a little bit longer rod. I'm going to bump it up to eight foot rod and I'm going to either go with a medium action or a medium-heavy action, depending on the size of the crab that I'm throwing and what I think is going to happen when we hook up. So if we're around a wreck or a coral head or some mangroves, I'll again, even with the 8-foot rod, I will bump up to the medium-heavy, so I'll have a little more backbone that I can help to fight that fish away. Um, But I'm going to choose my rod based upon how far I need to cast. And if I can cast the distance very easily, I'd probably rather bump up to the medium heavy, which is the 12 to 20 pound rod, rather than go with the super light rod. I'm going to go with a lighter rod because I'm going to be able to throw further, both with a seven foot medium and with an eight foot medium than I am going to be able to throw with a, uh, uh, medium heavy in those same rod links. That's me personally, may not be you. So, in all of this, you kind of have to figure out what you can throw further, what you're more comfortable with, and go with that. So, the rods that I really like um, are the St. Croix rods. I think that St. Croix rods are the best ones out there. And there are three models. There's probably more than three models, but I love these three models. There's the Mojo, which is the least expensive. They make this battle axe. It's a perfect rod for permanent fishing, a seven-foot medium and medium-heavy rod, um, and that's their kind of their entry-level rod. The Legend Extreme has uh, much more expensive components on it. It's a white rod that you can see very easily if you go to Bass Pro or any other retailer where they're carrying... Um, St. Croix, it's their only white rod, so you can pick that out really easily. They also have a battle axe, a seven-foot medium and a seven-foot medium heavy. Now, when I'm going to bump up to the longer rod, I'm going to be looking in the Avid series, which is kind of a a teal colored rod, and they have an eight-foot medium and an eight-foot medium heavy. So, those are really the four rods that I really like. A seven foot medium, seven foot medium heavy, an eight foot medium, and an eight foot medium heavy. That's going to cover everything that you're going to need in permit fishing. Uh, Joe Gonzalez on our uh, how to Tuesday, he talked about kind of the same thing that in the w- summertime he's going to have to cast to his bonefish much further than he will in the wintertime. So he also suggested bumping up to a to an eight foot rod and uh, then as we go to line, we'll talk about how the line affects the, the casting distance as well and I'll change my line and on these different uh, on these different um, rods as the year goes on. So now let's talk about reels. Okay. The reels need to be good. You need to have a good quality spinning reel because the permit's no joke. It runs really fast. It's one of the hardest fighting fish in the ocean, and you're using ultra light gear for them. Now, the, the spinning reels have come a long way, and there are some really, really good ones out there on the market. Um and, and they're, they're perfectly capable of handling it. You want a good one, though, because the fish is going to peel off a lot of line. You want a drag that can handle that, and you want a reel that's going to stand up to the abuse. I look for a reel that is going to be able to hold between 200 and 350 yards of the line that I want to use. So I'm going to use braided line all the time, 100% of the time I'm using braided line. So, I want to use, um, at the heaviest, I'm going to use uh, 30. At the lightest, I'm going to use 8. And I want to make sure that the reel that I choose is going to have the capacity to land a permit. So, if I'm going to, and it's funny, like if I'm using heavier line... I may not need quite the capacity that I might with the light line because I'm not gonna be able to put as much pressure on a fish with eight pound test. So I may have to let them run further. So the idea would be, you know, lighter line, smaller reel, but not not necessarily the case always. So I might have a 4,000 or a 5,000 reel loaded with eight pound braid for the summertime fishing to make sure that no matter how far that fish runs, I'm gonna have capacity and I'm not gonna have to pull on them real hard where, you know, if you're fishing 30 pound line, you can definitely pull a lot harder on that and you can keep that fish from running so far. Um, so, the reel that I'm looking for is usually a 30 or a 40 size. That can be a 3,000 or a 4,000 size also in other reel manufacturers. And um, what I'm, the ones that I have uh, found that work the very best for me are the Daiwa ones. Uh, the Saltis, Saltiste and the Ballistic are two that I really like. Um, they're not that expensive. They handle everything that I throw at them, and they have exactly what I'm looking for. The 4,000 holds 320 yards of 30, and um, it's uh, it's great. If you wanted to step up beyond that, you could go to a Saltiga or a Sertate, which are um, really premium uh Diowa reels—they're premium reels that uh, no permit is going to wear those things out. So those are those are good uh, options for that. But whatever whatever manufacturer you choose, you want to look at the capacity first, and you want it to be with a reputable reel manufacturer so that you know that the the drag is going to hold up. And and really, you're going to be spending some money on this thing, so make sure that um, you know it's going to be durable. And uh, be able to handle handle kind of salt corrosion. That's one of the things that the Daiwa reels are the best at, in my opinion. Okay, so now let's talk about line. I said before that I'm a hundred percent braided line. I have no desire or uh, application for monofilament in my permit fishing anymore. I used to fish with permit. I, mean, I used to fish with monofilament all the time before braided line came out and um, there is not one thing about a monofilament, as far as permit fishing, in my opinion, that is superior to braided line. Braided line casts further, it, and and that alone is worth it to me, because the distance you're casting is paramount in your success in permit fishing. So just simply, I mean, even on the early stages of the braided lines where, um. They could be a terrible mess when you cast and you would get what people call wind knots. They're bad, you know, they're just knots. It flies off the spool and creates a big knot. Even with those things happening, the distance that we could get with the braided line made it already much superior to anything that monofilament would have. I can throw 20-pound braid further than I can throw 8-pound monofilament. So it's just a simple simple thing for me. Most people are probably using braided line, but if you're not, you there there is a world of difference in the performance that you can get out of braided line over monofilament and as it applies to permit fishing, we've talked about it a number of times, but distance is paramount. If you can throw further, you have a better chance of catching the fish. If you can throw further with accuracy, you have a much better chance of catching fish. So that is what I I like is braided line. My favorite braided line is the Daiwa J braid. And the line is going to change just like the rods are throughout the course of the year. The battle axe is 20 or 30 pound. The battle axe is probably 20 pound. I feel like with 20 pound, I can cast a long way, maybe not to the absolute maximum distance, but I I can cast a long way. It has plenty of strength to be able to pull on a permit and plenty of abrasion resistance to be able to handle permit in all different types of situations, whether that's a wreck or a coral head or flats or deep offshore. So I'm going to have 20 pound on my reels for the most part all year long. I could even bump up to 30. This new J Braid, (laughs) the 30 is very thin and very manageable. And I don't actually notice that much of a decrease between the 20 and the 30. So you're going to pick up some abrasion resistance and you might lose a tiny bit of casting distance. And if you're worried about making it sporty, you could use a 10-pound leader and you're actually fishing with 10-pound, but you have a kind of like fly fishing. Like, you know, nobody complains about using a a 60-pound fly line. Because you have a tippet on the end of that that's, you know, 12 pound or 10 pound or whatever. So, you can make the pound test whatever you want. And the the line is used for casting. Um, or you could use a heavier leader and and not worry about breaking them off so much. Um, in the in the summertime, I'm going to have some reels loaded with 8, 10, and 15 pound. And... I'm going to be able to cast much, much further with those. When I pair eight pound with an eight foot rod, and I have a crab on there that's you know heavy enough to throw, that's going to be my maximum casting distance. Maybe a maybe a jig might cast a little further, but an eight foot rod with eight pound or ten pound on it is going to cast a long way. Uh, It'll be decreased a little bit with 20 and decreased a little bit with 30, and then that casting distance will be decreased as you move to a 7-foot rod. Um, but I tend to have more control over it, be more accurate with a 7-foot rod than I am with an 8-foot rod, so that's why I'm using the the different ones. But I'm going to either use you know, between 8 and 30-pound uh, braided line, and that is the reason, because it affects the casting distance, and it also affects uh, where I'm able to, to pull on these fish. So if I really need to pull on them, I can pull on them with heavy line. We're going to go over some techniques where you, you'll see that pulling on them is not always the answer. On the end of the braided line, I'm going to tie a fluorocarbon leader. I like fluorocarbon better than monofilament. I think that it has better abrasion resistance and it also sinks and sinking fluorocarbon will help your crab get to the bottom or your jig or your shrimp or whatever it is that you're using and it has less light refraction so it doesn't shine as much in the water as monofilament so therefore it is a little bit more invisible i get more bites on fluorocarbon and i also feel because of the abrasion resistance i can go down a little bit in the pound test and still be able to catch the fish that i'm looking for so I'll be using a leader anywhere between 15 and 30 pound, depending on where I'm fishing. And, uh, I will tie that on to the end of the, of the braided line with several different knots. I like, I like the J knot probably the best. A double uni is fantastic. If I'm feeling really super fancy, I will, I will go with, um, you know, the Delf knot or the Sabeele knot or the, um, what, what else is that knot called? It's a, it's a woven knot that there's really not a knot there. You can go to our website um, and see all of these knots and how to tie them. Um, and, and I might go super fancy when I'm using the lighter lines and I might tie a bimini first and then a double uni or a bimini and then a J knot. And all of these knots are available if you are not familiar with all of the knots, you can go to saltwaterexperience.com. You can look up knots, and there there are tons of them up there. I did a series of about forty or fifty different knots that go step by step through how to tie all these knots. So you can find all that saltwaterexperience.com, or you can look it up on our YouTube channel and go through all of the the different knots. But it's not you know super fancy. Just just call it a call it a double uni uh, from the fluorocarbon to the braided line. And then I'm going to usually tie, uh, which is somewhat surprising to some people, but I like a clinch knot from the leader to the hook. And their reason for that is I don't like a loop knot with a circle hook. I like that, that leader to be tight to the circle hook. I feel like you know, if you've got the loop knot in there, while in some ways a loop knot is a great advantage and you can tie a very very strong loop knot, but I have seen fish not get hooked when when the loop knot is there. I don't know why, but in my mind it just seems like if there if the leader and the hook are one, that that hook seems to find the corner of the fish's mouth better than when it is on a loop and it's allowed to swing around I haven't had as good a luck that's just me personally if it works for you great use it don't change Uh, use what's working now let's go over the hook because I have very strong opinions about the hook I fished for permit for a long time and was very frustrated using circle hooks and this is really before uh, I'm, I'm sorry using J hooks um, and this is really before um, chemically sharpened, very nice circle hooks were um, easily found. You Couldn't just go into any, any bait shop and find, you know, chemically sharpened circle hooks like you can today. So we just didn't have them as much of an option. So we tended to use J-hooks of all different sizes and shapes and, and everything, but they were J-hooks. And you would throw over to a permit, or let's just say my clients would throw over to a permit. You could see the rod tip move as if the fish had just eaten it. They would try to set the hook and we would often come back with just the shell. Often. And I started playing around with circle hooks as they became more available. And I started to really kind of hone in like what size I wanted and what size was the most effective and how to hook the crabs with a circle hook and how to set the hook with you know the rod and how to instruct my anglers how to do that. And it wasn't very long at all that the hookup percentage of permit went from about 40 percent to almost hundred percent. We just almost didn't miss any anymore. It was astounding. And it made such an incredible difference in my success as a permit guide with spinning tackle that very few things have made that kind of impact on my fishing to where you were marginal before, you change one little piece of your gear, and it makes an incredible difference. A permit is a perfect fish to use a circle hook, the way that they eat the crab, the way that you set the hook, it all works very, very well to have the hook end up in the corner of the permit's mouth. It's good for the fish. It's good for the angler. It's the way to go. So I'll tell you the hook that I like the most. I like this weird shaped offshore angler, four ought, occasionally a five ought, depending on the size of the crab. And it is a it is a circle hook. It's a little bit offset, and it has a short shank on it. And um, I've, I've I've tried pretty much every circle hook on the market. Uh, I have much better success with any circle hook than I had with the very best J hook. So I think this Worldwide Sportsman hook is the best for my personal fishing. You can find what you like for yours, but I strongly encourage you that if you're interested in catching permit, you know, maybe somebody else has different experience, but the circle hook for me has been the biggest game changer. And uh, I, I would not feel comfortable throwing a J hook at a permit. I just wouldn't, wouldn't feel comfortable doing it. I'll do it to a bonefish. Don't feel good about throwing a J hook to a permit. And maybe that's just me and my... The way that I think about things, but that's, if you're asking my advice, I'm saying throw a circle. Okay, so then let's talk about baits because there, there are di- lots of different ways that you can catch them and you can certainly catch permit on completely artificial on spinning tackle. It's going to be slightly um, more productive, let's say, than, than fly tackle simply because you can cast so much further and you might open yourself up to a lot of shots that you wouldn't have gotten with fly, But for the most part, it could be that fly fishing is actually more effective than than spin fishing with artificials. Now, there are some crab imitations out there that are, just look so good. They look like a live crab. They are beautiful, uh, but they don't act like a live crab. In fact, they act like a dead crab. And if you have done a lot of permit fishing with crabs, you have probably thrown a dead crab to a permit. And a permit comes over and looks at a dead crab, kind of like they go over and look at a fly. There's mild, moderate interest, and they end up not eating it often. Sometimes they will, but they don't want to. Um, as opposed to a live crab, where the thing's kicking and screaming and making noise as it's going down, and the permit comes over and it pulverizes it. Okay, Big difference. I find the same thing with a lot of these um. Um, imitation crabs that they look really good, but they don't act like a live crab. Um, and so therefore the permit aren't quite as into them. So I would say that's the least, in my opinion, that's the least effective bait. The second least effective bait would be, um, a jig like a bonefish jig or maybe a little bit larger. Um, now lots of permit are caught on jigs, lots of them. And there are anglers out there that are very, very good with a spinning rod and very good with a jig, and that's just their bag, and they catch a lot of permit with jigs. It would help if you knew the splashless cast, and you could cast in a way that you are going to minimize the impact of that jig. You're going to be able to throw it very close to them like fly fishermen do, and it's going to shoot to the bottom, and uh, a a permit will eat it. They, They eat it. I mean, it's not terribly uncommon to catch them on jigs. People do it all the time. But of the of the baits that I'm going to go over, just a bear jig is probably the second uh, least effective. You can enhance that by tipping that jig with shrimp. That'll make it a little bit more effective. Same techniques apply and you'll catch a few more if it's if it's tipped with shrimp. The second most effective bait Is a live shrimp and that can be on a jig head uh, that can be on a circle hook that can be rigged in many different ways split shots and and other ways that that a live shrimp can be rigged on a hook can be effective for permit it can also get an errant snapper as you're waiting for the permit to swim up you may catch a snapper that happens to be sitting right where you uh, cast so that's frustrating when that happens the number one bait of all time, and I think without much argument, is a live blue crab. We're very fortunate in the Florida Keys that most of the bait shops carry live crabs, and and they carry them in the size that is appropriate for permit fishing. I like one to two inches across the carapace, and... Um, you want your crabs to be very healthy. You want to do everything that you can to keep these crabs healthy so that, I mean, when you hook them on and you put them in the water, they should be, the every leg should be kicking. They should make audible clicking sounds. They should swim to the bottom almost like a fish. And if you have that bait, man, what a difference that makes. And you can can do yourself a big favor by, um, you know, Obviously keeping them in the live well, obviously not casting them very, very many times. Like a lot of people get a great bait like that and they'll practice casting it five times. Well, you've given that crab, you know, five concussions, dragged it across the water and they're wondering why their crab doesn't look as good as it once did. You can be very, very careful with it. Like keep it in a in a little bucket up on the up on the deck. Make sure that water is changed out regularly, and you can handle your crab very, very gently. So that when you do throw it at a permit, you're going to get the me, the the boat the best and most uh, effective reaction out of that crab, and it's going to be shooting to the bottom. The legs are going to be clicking, and that permit is going to come over and pulverize it. That's a big difference. And that's that's what sets a lot of permit fishermen apart from others. A lot of guides apart from others is the way that they take care of their crabs. And you can even take that a step further that if you have crabs left over, you need to feed these things. Like throw an old ballyhoo in there, throw a fish skin in there, throw a piece of, of fish. I try to keep my crabs separate from my shrimp because for whatever reason, a lot of times the shrimp will put off a toxin that can kill everything in the tank. So I don't, keep that in there at all. But when when we're out, you know, we're using a bubbler in in the live well so that you're getting oxygen in the live well, but you're not just circulating the water. So the crabs are constantly have to swim against the current. We want the crabs to be very still and calm and peaceful in in there. And we want the bubbler to provide the oxygen so they don't have to move at all. And that's where you're going to get the most Action out of your crabs and have the healthiest crabs. Give them something to eat. Use the bubbler. If you don't have a bubbler in your live well, you can get the Frable uh, Magnum Bait Station, which has bubblers in it. They're very quiet. We used those this year. It was fantastic. I could keep crabs right up on the deck with me, and the the bubbler was was making those crabs just supercharged. It was awesome. So those are those are the the best baits. Now, the last thing we're going to talk about are some techniques. So now we've got we've got our rigs, got our we've got the right rod, we've got the right reel, we've got it spooled up with the right line, we've tied on the right fluorocarbon with the right knots, and we've found the right hook. We've we've taken care of our bait, and now we're out there and we're actually fishing. Okay, let's just say we're fishing with a a live crab. Um, So the most important thing, as we've discussed several times, is it. Is how far can you cast? And this is something that you can practice. You don't have to have a live crab. You can have something that's relatively the same weight as a live crab, maybe practice it with a jig, but you can practice just overall casting distance with this, with this permit rig that you have. And you can just practice. Throw how far can you throw? And some people can obviously cast a lot further than others, and they're they're getting more out of the rod. There's a technique to it. And it just doesn't come by just muscling it. You have to get out there and you have to practice. You have to have the right amount of overhang from, from the, the, the amount of rod line that's outside of the rod tip and you have to wind up correctly and then you have to throw it and you have to do it in a way that you're not going to throw the bait off. You're not going to lose your crab every time you throw it. So there is some practice that you can do. The number one thing is casting distance. The second thing is accuracy. And the mix of those two determines your success or failure for the most part. But you can also practice accuracy. You can practice distance. Can you just throw it out there as far as you possibly can? Then can we start to control that? And now can we hit a hula hoop at, you know, a hundred yards? Can we, can we throw it someplace? You know, can you, can you hit a small target? And as you decrease the distance, your accuracy and your percentage should go up. So you should be able to cast much more accurately at 40 feet than you can at at, at 140 yards, right? Okay, so you can practice those things and you can practice it with the different lines that we've talked about. And you can practice it with the different rods that we've talked about. And you can see the differences between the rods so that when you get out on the water and you're actually fishing, you're far more familiar with your gear. One of the things uh, that a lot of fishermen will do is the splashless cast where they will throw very close to the fish. They'll cast low and hard. They'll move the rod up to an upward angle. They'll feather the line and then make the bait land on top of the water. And if you're really good at it, you can see that you can make a crab, a shrimp, a jig, whatever, land with virtually no splash. You can cast very close to a permit or a bonefish. you can be very, very good at that cast. In my opinion, that cast is is excellent cast to have in your in your toolkit, and you're going to use it occasionally. Um, but it's also kind of risky because if you don't do it quite right, you slam that crab right into the water, right in front of the permit, and you scare them. Another way that you can uh, throw to a permit is if you have the luxury of the fish being well within your casting distance, you can cast well beyond it and well ahead of it and then use the rod and reel to bring that crab back to the permit like you're surfing it on the on the top of the water and get it to where uh, the permit has never heard the, the, the bait land in the water. You haven't scared it. You've thrown it far out in front of the fish and far beyond the fish, and then you have slowly and carefully reel that crab back on the surface until you see that there's going to be an intercept point between that fish and your crab and then you just simply let it drop. And the most effective presentation for a permit regardless of of tackle is when you cast in a way that the fish feels like it discovered that crab, like all of a sudden that crab was swimming on the surface, it sees that permit and it shoots to the bottom. It's not it's not as effective when you slam it in front of the, of the permit. Sometimes that'll work. I mean, often, lots of times that'll work. But if you can do it in a way that the permit is like, oh, look what I just found, get a lot more bites like that. So the casting past and surfing it in is definitely number one. And then if you are effective with your cast and you let the, the crab fall to the bottom, you'll see the permit come over and it will tip up on top of the crab using um, braided line, which has no stretch. And you're using uh, one of these St. Croix rods that I'm talking about, or another rod that is very sensitive. You will feel the permit, pick it up, thump, like one big thump, like thump. And then it just kind of starts moving off. And What you do at that point is you have the rod tip held high and you just start to slowly reel. And as that circle hook is pulled around to the corner of that permit's mouth, you will feel that there is some weight, a little bit more weight, a little bit more weight. And as you keep reeling, there's more weight and more weight and more weight. And the rod starts bending and bowing down. That permit at this point starts feeling that and can do one of two things it can either take off which is what it does most of the time or it can turn to face you and open its mouth and sometimes the crab comes out so this is why i say that you should start reeling and keep reeling until the drag goes out because and uh, unless you feel the crab come out and it goes all of a sudden it goes limp well, stop what you're doing. Stop everything. And the fish will likely think that the, fi- that the crab just got out of its mouth on its own and will come over and it will attack it again. And again, you will feel the big thump. You can keep the rod tip very high. You start reeling and you'll feel more weight, more weight, more weight, more weight. And I'm continuing to reel, continuing to reel, continuing to reel. That fish takes off and I give it a few more reels against the drag a lot of people tell you not to reel against the drag but in this case i think it's very important because if that fish turns back to you oftentimes you the line goes slack and the crab comes out of his mouth so that's why i think that you can you can get that hook in there just a little bit a little bit better by just reeling a little bit longer so now you've got them hooked up you fight them when you're around the boat uh have a tendency to take you for a couple of laps around the boat, so it's often good practice to get the outboard in a position to where you can get around it. If you got a trolling motor, you know, be ready to push the rod deep into the water and go under the trolling motor. Try to, fit, try to fight the fish up around the bow so that you can just go uh, right out in front of the bow and instead of having to take a full lap around the boat. And a landing net is a really good idea. A landing net is a is a really good idea. Um, that will cut the fight time considerably, and you can get that fish back in the water if you choose to release it, which I hope you do. And uh, and they'll be in good good shape. But um, that is pretty much permit fishing with a spinning rod one hundred and one. And if you have any questions about this, I'm more than happy to talk about it. I love permit fishing, and I've, I've it's my favorite style of fishing. Um, you can hit me up, podcast at saltwaterexperience.com. If you like this podcast, uh, love love it if you would stop, take a minute or two and leave a rating and review on iTunes. That makes all the difference in the world uh, in in helping other people to find this podcast. And uh, you can also share it with a friend. You can just go copy the link and text it to a friend that might like permit fishing or may have had a hard time with with some of these techniques and you think this might help them you'll be their hero that would be awesome um so anyway we got one more part to this series and that is going to be entirely about fly fishing that's going to come up next week and uh, we may have a special guest for that all right so hope that helped you with your permit fishing and we will uh see you next week talk about fly fishing for permit all right see you